I'm not a preacher, and I'm not drunk. I'm just a politician. Everybody, come out of your houses. Clarence Hillian is going to make you a super human being. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 27. 27 straight from heaven. Uh, I'm Mike McPadden. Wow. I'm the author of... <laughs> Did you prepare that? <laughs> that? That was amazing. I, I, I was, was waiting very professional. The, I was waiting 26 shows so I could... Uh, it sounded like a line up. from uh, On the Right Track. <laughs> yeah, it did. Why, like why would you bring up that going like, 27, smells like heaven. <laughs> <laughs> it's the great Herb Edelman. All right, hey, we'll get there. Uh, I'm Mike McPadden. I wrote Teen Movie Hell and Heavy Metal Movies. My co-host in his tiny house in Los Angeles. Aaron Lee, writer for TV shows like Family Guy and Superstore and stuff like that. And we have a guest tonight. Guest, can you introduce yourself? Uh, Rain Wilson, Nobel Prize laureate. <laughs> what Liar! Category? What category was that in, Rain? Best uh, DVD sales 2006 to 2009. <laughs> on a rug on a street corner. Yeah. <laughs> in Sweden. That's why they were aware of it. The Nobel Committee kept exactly. seeing your movies out there. Of Oscar screeners from 2008. <laughs> exactly. Congratulations, Ray. Thanks. So uh, we're talking tonight about On the Right Track from 1981. Uh, this was an Aaron Lee pick. Now, did you have any thematic uh, connections well, for the guest tonight, Aaron? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, On the Right Track stars Gary Coleman, the, the star of the second greatest NBC sitcom of all time. And Rain is the star of the first greatest NBC sitcom of all time. Um, so listen, guys, I don't know how you do this podcast, but can we just jump in? Yep. Hell okay. yeah. So I'm just, I just Googled comedies, 1981, really sure. interesting lineup of comedies. Okay. Please. There's, I haven't, I was alive. I was 15 in uh, 1981. So I went to a lot of movies at the multiplex. Um, Saturday the 14th. Have you heard of that one? Hell yes. yes. We may have just mentioned it in our previous, in the previous episode. With Richard Benjamin. We really did. And Paul Apprentice, yes. Yes. Okay. So there's classics like Modern Romance with Albert Brooks. Carbon Copy. That was with uh, George Siegel and Denzel Washington. An HBO uh, heavy rotation for decades. Um, there's, but then there's Cheech and Chong's Nice Dreams. It's terrible. Caveman is bad. Um, Ooh, Ringo Starr. Under the Rainbow, unwatchable. SOB, <laughs> does anyone know what SOB is? Just oh, watched it on Blu-ray two weeks ago. Yeah. You, <laughs> Blake why would Edwards. you watch it on Blu-ray? Was it worth it? Because the Blu-ray came out, and here's what I'll say. It, SOB is an incredible metaphor for what's going on in the Trump administration right now. <laughs> an amazing thing of them propping around a guy who is dying <laughs> and and trying to yeah, and yeah. it's richard and, mulligan so it's not even like he doesn't he, he looks enough like trump that he could pull it off so yes amazing cast um and and blake edwards and and i want to see all blake edwards yeah it's uh blake edwards poison pen letter to hollywood and uh it's where julie uh andrews has her one and only nude scene 
That's oh, right. The nice. big gimmick of SOB. Yes. That's right. Um, did anyone see Student Bodies, 1981? <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's the movie we reviewed last week, Rain. Yeah, that was the I'm previous episode. Why yes. are you going through the 1981 movies? Why are you going through the 1981 movies? Because you know, it's 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 really not that. It's just that. Okay, just just to let you know, on the right track, I did see this movie when I was a kid. I, I saw it on cable. And um, but the main reason Mike and I have always been obsessed with it is because we're huge Mad Magazine nerds. Okay, (laughs) and Mad Magazine did a parody of On the Right Track with a gag that stuck with me for 40 years and made me laugh of (laughs) Gary Coleman, a little naked Gary Coleman, with his little butt out, taking a shower with little soap suds and a scrub brush. (laughs) And you saw that he was in a urinal. And, a, and an, a, a grown man is saying what he calls a shower, we big people call a urinal. Th- this became a running joke for Mike and I. And I said, we have to do an On the Right Track episode. And if we're going to do On the Right Track, we, we have to have rain. That's, that's how this happened. Okay. I'm, I, 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 I feel terrible that you subjected me to it. But I just want to go through 1981, all the movies I did see in the theaters. Yes. Thank in you. the wow. theaters. In and around 1981. I saw okay, Polyester. Now say- okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is my show Please. now. <laughs> I saw Polyester. Okay. I saw yeah. Cannonball. Wait, you saw Polyester in the theater? Hold on. In the theater? I saw Polyester in the theater. I don't think it was in 81. I think it was more like 82, 83, but I did absolutely you, saw I saw did it you multiple get an, times. Did you get an Odorama card with the scratch and stuff? I did get sniff? an Odorama wow. card. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, first time I saw it. Um, nice. I saw Porky's. I saw Caveman. Porky's is a 1982 release. That is an erroneous figure on the IMDb. As the author oh. of Teen Movie Hell, this has been a bugaboo to wow. me for the past wow. two years. So. Wow. I saw Friday the 13th Part 2. Um, Mommy Dearest, Clash of the Titans. Whoa. Um, Mommy Dearest. I saw... Uh, I did not see Enter the Ninja, although I would really... I wish we had watched Enter the Ninja. Oh, Franco yeah. Nero. I love that movie. Um, I saw Endless Love, The Fan... Um, what else? These Previous episode. Really, uh, but then uh, also History of the World Part 1, My Dinner with Andre. I didn't see it in 81. I saw it like when I was in college, like with all the other college kids. Stripes, one of the great mm-hmm. all-time greats. American Werewolf in London, one of the all-time greats. Arthur, mm-hmm. which is a terribly sad movie about alcoholism. Um, <laughs> uh, but was pretty well, they terrific sure when they we saw it. Got to that point in Arthur Two on the rocks. They really hammered it home because <laughs> apparently America missed the message the first time. And also, I think a little uh, an underappreciated movie was Neighbors with John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd yeah, reversing the roles. Um, uh, now, have you ever read the novel, the Thomas Berger novel, upon which that is based? I have read other Thomas Berger novels, but I haven't read that one. It is it is the only book that made me hyperventilate. It's every page is like a little suspense movie. I can't recommend it enough. Oh, nice. And that's I, why I smell that, remake. <laughs> <laughs> who, okay, so it's you and who in the remake then, Rain? Dan Aykroyd. Um, it's Rain Dan, and Dan, Dan Aykroyd. Is he still alive, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's still alive. Yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. perfect. Yeah. All right, sorry, I kind of hijacked the conversation. Please, Mike, Aaron, take it away. What a year for movies. Unbelievable. Yeah. Those are all still fun. Those are oh, all still Zorro pretty the fun and great. Uh, we, <laughs> another previous episode of another we you guys are obsessed with 1981 movies what not is only this? not only did we review Zora the Gay Blade I went on Cameo and got George Hamilton to do a special <laughs> Zora the Gay Blade shout out to Mike oh so, my god that's fantastic yeah. 
Yeah, this really that, this really is the sweet spot year for movies we're obsessed with, Mike. And I hadn't even it is. thought it's of that. It's the year I turned 13. So how you would have been turning like 11? I turned 2. I turned 2 then. Oh, year. that's right. I forgot. That's, yes, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Very I young you're Hollywood, Hollywood years writer. old. Now. Yes. yes. No, I turned I turned ten years old. I turned ten years old. I was year. fifteen, and um, going every weekend we would go to see a movie. Uh, we would often even just take the bus to go see a movie every weekend. So wait, we Rain was obsessed. this in Portland? Where was uh, this? Seattle, yeah, suburban Seattle, Seattle north, just uh, Lake Forest Park, Seattle, Linwood area. Could um, you get into R-rated movies? Um. Yeah, a couple of times we just asked people to say, hey, will you say that we're kids? And, and they were like, yeah. And they'd be like, I'm like, and here's the money. And uh, uh, four, four of us. Uh, and then we would right. just get that right was in that way. Yeah. Tried and true tactic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because so, who's uh, going to say no to that? Who's going to say like, no. You know, you're going to be like, <laughs> you'd just be the lamest person uh, in the world. A woman in pearls with a, yeah, a stole, <laughs> right. a fancy lady. Yeah. A fancy woman. No! <laughs> with her fainting couch behind her, coincidentally. I just want to say that, on. speaking of great bad movies, my son celebrated his 16th birthday party by having some friends doing a safe outdoor movie viewing of uh, Troll 2. So, wow. kind of the, the classic be- best yeah. worst movie, so to speak. And uh, so he's um, he's a, he's a great kid. He's got it. He's got it. It's in the, it's in his blood. But you forced me to watch on the right track. So fuck you. <laughs> and let's talk about it. Let's get to business. Well, Come on. I just gotta know one thing quickly. How does Troll Two play with an audience of kids your son's age, with an audience of teen modern teenagers? Raucous. Yes. Laughter. Great. Uh, cheers, groans, and fist pumps. It was. It, it plays great. That's it really, it's pretty, it's actually a pretty perfect movie beginning to end. Every scene, it never gets boring. That's the thing. It is terrible and never boring. That's so the truth. on the right track is terrible and, <laughs> and boring. incredibly boring. So yes. that's why Troll 2 holds up as this kind of like wunderkind, you know, a feat of cinema. Like how can you make something that bad that never flags and for a second? Fun. Yeah. And that is the secret, yeah. Yeah. Just in general, the secret. Um, so, uh, Rain, I don't know, did Aaron brief you on our rating system? No. No, no I'll spring it up now. So, Rain, okay. when we started this podcast, we were like, oh, we should have like our own thumbs up, thumbs down thing, where we, we have a different rating, thumbs up, thumbs down every week. And the first one, I you're not going to believe I was this crass, Rain. I made a shit joke. And now it's just become that every time. So, so, so we'll give you our examples. And if you want to throw one in, feel free. Yeah. Uh, so for this episode, for this, here were my candidates, Mike. I had okay. a sitcom or shitcom. Okay. <laughs> Very good. I like and it. Arnold Drummond or anal drubbing as wow. in a thrashing or a beating. <laughs> yes. What, okay, what do I you have, have? I have four. Oh my God. I have a uh, Gary Coleman. Or fill the bowl, man. Oh, that's good. good. That's good. Okay. Arnold Jackson or spread your cracks, son. <laughs> that's really good. Norman Fell or Stormin' Smell. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You could have done better there. <laughs> I, I, and I did. The kid with the broken halo or the kid with the smoking a-hole. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. <laughs> I think that's the winner. Sea rain? Yeah. Rose to your challenge. Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what you call a rope-a-dope. He tricked you with that one, Ray. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you yeah. have one, Rainer. 
I, I, I didn't know of this system, so... Um, okay. Rain, that's what, no excuse. Okay. Come up with one okay. right now. Come up with one <laughs> On right spot. now. Okay. Um, what, el- what else? Um, uh, I kept trying to go off of what you're talking about, Willis, but I was couldn't. impossible. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah, it's very <laughs> frustrating. Yeah. What yeah. you talking about, colon? Is Bill Russell's in it? Smell Russell? Uh, um... I kind of um, like what you're talking about, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that. Let's go Gary with that. Co- Gary Colin. Gary Colin. There we go. Gary Colin. Oh, okay. Gary Colin or Gary Colin. Okay. Wow. All right. There's our system. So go ahead. Uh, Michael Michael Bumfuck. That's, you know. <laughs> Instead of so, Lembeck. But that's, that's the first ever Michael Lembeck joke that's ever been told. <laughs> yeah, you're right. In the history of the world. <laughs> Even on a set. Yes. Do you notice that uh, Michael Limbeck uh, had the exact same haircut as the the guy uh, Gary Sandy from uh, WKRP? WKRP, right? Yeah, Andy Travis. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That kind of like that perfect bowl, yeah. kind of feathered. The look. feather bowl. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it covers bowl. the entirety of the skull and it's perfectly feathered. <laughs> They probably yeah. had the same hair dryer, like old-fashioned 1950s ladies' hair dryer that they <laughs> yeah. just lowered on that. Yeah. Never washed it otherwise. So uh, Gary so, Coleman or Gary Cohen. So uh, I'm going to say um, it's a tough one for me. I'm, I'm right. Uh, I'm walking on a thin yellow line here to stay on, on point. Uh, I will have to say it is ultimately weird enough for me that it's a Gary Coleman. Wow, you put it in the win category. Yeah. You know, I I actually enjoyed watching this as yeah. boring as it was, but I will have to say Gary Colon for uh for not for it, you know when Siskel and Ebert would go, "Oh, I feel bad giving this a thumbs down." This is one of right. those for right. me. Like, yeah, you didn't make it. But Rain, I well, I suspect you have no shame calling this Gary. This Cole. is a heaping pile of steaming <laughs> shit. I'm not going to make any puns. Uh, it's not worthy of a pun. I, this is I this was the love... biggest wait, waste of an hour. Here's here's how I, bad this movie was. Okay, hold on, slow your roll, Lee. Here's how I bad love this is. that we forced you to watch this. I love that the world is burning down and Fuck we wasted you your hell, time. I love it. I just I learned today it. the hole in the ozone layer is twice the size of the United. United States. It's the largest it's been in decades, and yeah. I had to watch on the right fucking track. And then, and, and then the you press play. It's, it's on YouTube, and I watched the last <laughs> half at 1.5 speed. You know, you can change the speed, the playback. Sure. Yeah. And oh. even then, I, I several times I checked it to say like, did I speed this up? It's so slow. <laughs> and even at one and a half times speed, it is lugubrious and nonsensical. And it has what? zero, there's nothing redeeming about this movie. Nothing. No wonder you didn't like it. You ruined the integrity of the film. You watched yeah. it at 1.5. My God. Oh, yeah. That, that's watched, that's before, why you didn't like it. Before Colorize the, um, any other classics, Ted Turner? <laughs> <laughs> the, um, I watched it up until the 45-minute mark. Before the mafia was introduced, the mafia subplot oh my God. was introduced 45 <laughs> so minutes in um, uh, at regular speed. So I gave it a shot. I gave it a chance. It was, I liked her hair a lot. Amazing. Great, Lisa Eilbacker. Yeah. 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 The only hair better than Lembeck's was hers. It was amazing. <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, do you guys know, uh, I was doing a little bit of a deep dive into this movie. Do you guys know anything about Zephyr Productions? That's uh, Gary Coleman's production because he was a train freak. Um, that's right. Uh, very yeah. good. And um, 
the there is a history of um, the uh, the movies made by Zephyr Productions. So oh, it's on the right, right track. Oh my god! They actually made a 1981 TV movie called Evita Peron. Um, <laughs> I remember with Faye Dunaway. Oh, I was yes. so hoping it starred um, Gary Coleman. <laughs> God damn it. The Fantastic World of DC Collins. I wish we had seen that one. Uh, and the kid TV with 200 movie. IQ. Who could forget that? The yeah. kid with the broken halo. Well, Scout there you go. Honor, the kid from left field. The Gary Coleman show on TV. Right. So he had a very successful production company that was all about um, kind of leveraging the Gary Coleman phenomenon of the late right. 70s and early 80s. And they, they released a lot of movies. Well, those are all Gary Coleman TV movies, with the unfortunate exception of Evita Perot. Yes. And yes. you know what? A charming little guy. I'm going to say that. Sure. Even in a terrible movie, seeing this, I was like, well, this is this is a charming little guy. I loved, that, I loved that watching him run around. I will agree around. with you, and I think he's actually a terrific actor. Me yeah. too. And he was so poorly used in this as simply a plot device. Um... And the way it was shot, you never got to really see him. There was so many wide shots. I think it was so low budget, and there were big scenes and way too many scenes and repetitive scenes that there were most of the scenes had two to three setups. So uh, you can't shoot like a page and a half scene with five or six characters with two setups. It just it it, it doesn't work. So what you do, unfortunately, when you have a three foot ten inch little black kid at the center of the film as talented as he is he just gets lost in the shuffle you can't see him or his face like the miracle of gary coleman is his incredible expressiveness and his comedic timing and stuff like that you know it's like mm -hmm. having uh, michael j fox just uh be in the in the in the background and um you know uh all his dumb movies it, Mike and I talk sometimes about bad movies where the acting is just a little too good. And the scenes of Gary Coleman pathos, where he's like left yeah, behind and, and he's standing against a bare wall in the subway <laughs> looking sad. You're like, well, now this got real. Like, now I'm depressed. Like, it goes into Gus Van well, Sant territory all of a sudden. tears when he was being yes. comforted by uh, Maureen Stapleton as Mary the Bag. Oh, lady. God. Yes. Yeah. A little too heavy. The heavy Gary. So, and, uh, but funny, too. But funny, too. Yeah. But that's, you know, at, at the center of it is, uh, and this is, we talked about Arthur earlier, and it was amazing that all of America went out to see Dudley Moore as this just chronic alcoholic, um, <laughs> just with his life kind of falling apart. And it's just like, oh, he's so charming and so childlike and so, f and he's just so funny. <laughs> and it's like... He wakes up and and drinks multiple, you know, uh, cocktails, and it's it's terrifying. It's awful. It's it's <laughs> it's horrific. It's heart wrenching to watch uh, through the modern lens. And a, I'm sorry, a comedy about a kid sleeping in a um, in a train station locker, and everyone just like, oh, yes. have some pizza. Hey, little guy, like, um, just accepting it. Like, no one going, wait a second, this isn't right. Children well, can't need to be going to school and can't be sleeping in lockers. 
But what about the hilarious reason he's sleeping down there, which is that he's suffered so much abuse and trauma <laughs> in the world up, up above that he's there. in terror yeah. to leave the subway. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a very, yeah, it was a different time. Do the a different 43 time. people who listen to your podcast, have they usually seen the movie or are they listening in well, and not have seen the music? Do we need to lead them into what's going on or do we make an assumption they've seen it? We, we assume. We make asses out of ourselves. And that, yeah, that's and by the assuming. way, when he says that, we usually announce, and next week we're going to talk about this yeah. movie, and then we change our minds, and they get mad <laughs> at us online. They get angry online. Because <laughs> they, uh, they yeah. watched whatever stupid, boring movie we announced, yeah. and then we yeah. change it, and it was a waste of their, a total waste of their time. So here's my theory. I, I don't. Do you guys have a? Are we just? Is it freewheeling or where is there a? It's freewheeling. There... I mean, I have a bunch of notes on on cast members and background, but we can yeah. just wheel freely. So as I was watching this movie, I was thinking, oh, this is a movie about the death of the '70s and the birth of the '80s. This is a mm. movie that was in between. Um, I don't know. Serpico pops to mind, but that's not the right kind of film but panic and needle park (laughs) yeah the the gritty kind of gritty human struggle movies of the 70s versus the whimsical um money fantasy movies of the 80s oh yeah and so you what you have is because at one of the central conceits which is preposterous it's his he has this magic power gary coleman to pick the trifecta, he can pick the top three winners of a, of a horse race, um, which is just casually tossed in like 12 minutes in. Uh, he's shining someone's shoes and he looks at the newspaper <laughs> and sees three names light up and he gives them the three. Um, and they don't set it up at all. Where did this come from? Where did this start? Anything like that. And then the the the, the crux of the movie is about two thirds of the way in, you meet the mayor, mayor, played by Norman Fell. And Gary Coleman's... <clears throat> whole tack is this city is suffering and i want to give back to the city by picking a trifecta so that we leverage that trifecta across all of gambling of the gambling institutions and we take that money and give it to the city to make this a city a better place so that i don't have to live down in the train station i can go be in in a safer better city and this mirrors and obviously I read a little bit about the film and it was originally going to be shot in New York City and they moved it to Chicago. But it was, it re- and in fact, the original title was, what was his name in it? Lester. Was, Lester. Is, uh, Les- New York Loves Lester, I think was the original yes. title My of the movie. And yeah. so it was really about bailing, and it was obviously written in like 1977 when New York was uh, defaulting and, right. and bankrupt. And uh, it was, how can we... Um, save our city and make the give back to our city which is a very 70s kind of vibe but then it bumps up against this kind of like wish fulfillment kind of disney uh son of flubber kind of thing even though that's not an 80s movie but you know what i mean it's this kind of fantastical movie where all these people want the money that he's predicting from his horse picks so this 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 kind of altruism bumped up against this reagan era selfishness uh with people wanting to stockpile money and the buy the guy buys a rolls royce and um so it's really the the melding of these two eras in 1981 it was obviously developed more in the late 70s and then they tried to kind of ratchet it a little bit more towards a an 80s kind of vibe 
and no, and no no giant spoilers here but the uh, the end of the movie the last line is him saying hey did you know i can pick the stock market as they walk up onto the street yes, so yeah. yes yep. yeah I exactly can. kind of reminds me of that book i've told you about mike decade of nightmares about i read that book the, yeah. yeah right I, I, every yeah, time so, you tell me i say i read the book <laughs> there you go I, I just always like to stress that i introduced you to it in a pompous way <laughs> yes. what uh, is my what is my decade of nightmares Decade of Nightmares is it's the I think the subtitle of the book is how the '60s became the '80s, and it, and it's really about the 1970s as this amazing cultural history of the 1970s. We think of it as like the the free spirited disco wild sex era, and it's actually the time that the country took the hardest right turn that was then consecrated in the Reagan years. So. So yeah, I, I th whoever wrote on the right track definitely read Decade of Nightmares. No question, they definitely had that. In I mind. think my father was a testament to that because he was a bohemian oh, in the '60s and sheltered uh, draft dodgers, painting murals on a houseboat in Seattle. He never went full like hippie, but he was very in that bohemian world. And he was he was the archetypical, archetypal Reagan Democrat. And just sure. was mm -hmm. kind of sick of Jimmy Carter's kind of like pansy ass waffling. And he just wanted a tough new dawn for America and, you know, wanted a strong economy and wanted stuff in his bank. And um, and then he never he never looked back at that point. And he was watching Bill O'Reilly a few decades after that. So he took that turn with America in the 70s. Sorry to hear it. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> On a happier note, um, well, we we talk about. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Did I just wise. get too personal for this <laughs> podcast? No, no, no. We're just getting started with your being personal, right? Um, no, on a on I a killed movie. My cousin. Wait, wait till we get you talking about Michael Lembeck and your feelings there. You want to talk about personal? We're gonna get intense. You mean Emmy winning Michael Lembeck? Rain, have you ever worked with Michael Lembeck? No, I haven't. Okay. All right. I saw he directed a ton of TV. A ton of TV, yeah. and he directed a Friends episode, that, and he won an Emmy for Best Director. I don't know how you do that for a Friends episode. It's like, yeah, just put move the cameras over here, let them say their charming <laughs> lines on the couch in the coffee shop. Um, but uh, yeah, Michael Lembeck with the hair. Yeah. Yes, I always think of him as uh, Max, who was uh, Mackenzie Phillips's husband on One Day at a Time. Me too. Doing during the Glenn Scarpelli era. But you know, yeah. he was also Captain Cool from Captain Cool and the Kongs. From I the saw Saturday that. Morning Croft yeah. Super Sid, Show. Sid, yes. Sid and Marty Croft, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can, I, I, can I sing a little bit of the Captain Cool theme song? Yes, please. <laughs> please, for God's sake. <laughs> I really know these words. Don't get left behind. Take a trip with us today. We will lead you to a land of dreams. Because it's a crazy world where anything goes down. And most of what appears isn't true. So in this crazy world, we'd like to go downtown. And, and laugh, laugh and, clap and clap along, along with, with you. you. And then it goes, The Croft Super Show a few times. Don't get left behind. Take a trip with us today. We will 
Lembeck would sing this? This was a Lembeck jam? It was the entire Kongs, but he was Captain Cool. He was the leader of the Kongs, who was sort of like a like Las Vegas clown version of Kiss. Okay. All and right. the bass player was named Flatbush, which was a real thrill for me because I'm from Flatbush. Yeah. Oh, nice. God. But we were talking... Oh, so movie-wise, we talk a lot about how the 70s went all the way to mid-1982, which is when you had, uh, you know, E.T., Poltergeist. Uh, you know, it just it just transformed into Spielberg and Lucasland. But looking back... And then I feel a culture followed that uh, because I can only perceive things through movies. Um Doing research on this movie, I see that 81 is really where that got, that sort of lit the fuse. Like Mandingo lit the fuse and drum explodes. 81 lit the fuse and <laughs> 82 exploded. Because I like to look at the other movies that were playing when uh, the subject film came out. And this one happened to open in different cities at different times. But in terms of the summer... There were no independent films, and there were no even exploitation movies. And then it opened in L.A. at the end of the summer, and I wrote down those because they're all mind-blowing. And there were a lot of movies, but I realized it's because Raiders of the Lost Ark and things like that had completely crowded out everything else. So I think it's, a, uh, it's interesting that this did manage to slip that little 70s grit into that dawn of a bad new era that was upon us at that point. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And a and a very uh, and a very charming cast. I gotta say, like I said, like yeah. I always loved Lembeck from from one day at a time, yes. and uh, and and our ad- adorable, and then our adorable female lead, Lisa uh, Eilbacher. Lisa Eilbacher. And and what was her what was her background? What was her story, Mike? She was like a kid actress, ton of TV, and then uh, best known for an officer and a gentleman and Beverly Hills Cop. But in between those two, in 1983, she played Chuck Bronson's daughter in one of our favorite movies, Ten to Midnight. Oh my God! Hmm. Okay. Uh, I, I, yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go on a big Bronson kick. I gotta yes. do it. I gotta yes. go through all the Bronson movies again. Yeah, I don't remember that. Was That's Charles great. Bronson ever in a non-action movie? I mean, he was in The yes. Great Escape, but w- what else? He's in a bizarre romantic comedy called Lola, where he dates a teenager. And he was in. He played a real-life union leader who got assassinated. I, I think his name was Jock Yablonski mm-hmm. in an mm. HBO movie. And oh, we have great. we are going to do a Berserk Bronson episode, so we're going to that's good dig all those up, yeah. But but it's funny that we're talking about the grit of this movie and stuff because having seen it as a kid, I did love and and even talking about like oh my god, it's sad that it's really about a homeless kid. To see it as a kid, it was just that thing of like oh a kid who lives in a weird place that would be right. so yes, cool. The fantasy, no parents, yes, it, no it'd rules. It'd be amazing. Pizza. Like the and I saw that Lisa Eilenbeck, Eilenbeck, the other movie she was in that I was shocked to see because I thought of it watching was Bad Ronald, the TV movie That's about right. the kids. She's one of the sisters that gets spied on in Bad Ronald. Do you know that movie, Rain? That TV I movie? That. I don't know that. It's a '70s TV movie about people who live in a. It's the classic "The Kid Who Lives in the Wall" movie. <laughs> Mike and I used to call it "The Kid Who Lives the kid in the, the Walls." Wall. Yeah, you know, like people move in this house and they hear weird sounds at night and they don't know there's a lonely teenager that's living in the wall who lives there because his mother. He had lived there in the house with his mother and she died, 
and uh, he just did you, builds did a you kingdom guys in the both walls. Work in uh, in block at Blockbusters. Well, I worked at Cut Corner Video in Lexington, <laughs> Kentucky. I we was, both um, worked at Hustler Magazine. Uh, Mike, did you That's work in a video deal. store? I did not. No. Oh, okay. I was just I wondering just, uh, where supported this kind most of, of the uh, video stores. Man, I I mean, I was the classic nineteen-year-old uh, cranky video store clerk who would get angry when mm-hmm. people came up to rent movies because I was trying to watch the movie, and then I would be contemptuous of the movies they rented. I, I was, yeah, I was the cliche obnoxious video store clerk. But yeah, that's where I saw all this stuff. But but any movie that was about kids sleeping, living at the mall, yeah. living in the walls. And, and then to, to jump all over the place, here's something that really bothered me in the Gene Siskel review that I watched, Mike, was he said, oh, I love any movie, about, I love all movies about kids who pick winners at the track. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what, the fuck, what other fucking movies are there about kids who pick I, I, I looked for Can you think of one? find any. No. But I do think you guys are onto something. This is one of these great kind of lists you could put together of yeah. like um, movies where kids live in funny places. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Harry Potter lives in the in the in the under the stairs, but that's not yep. a great example. But kids living in magical and fun and different places is, oh, that is was... a great is a great genre. Yeah. Uh, my yeah. issue with the movie was there. I don't think this movie would ever have been successful, but I do think that uh, it felt like a TV show shoehorned into a movie it felt like it we wanted it's like they wanted to develop a tv show when when we have a tv show where gary coleman lives in a train station and he's got the pizza guy and the nice sweet girl who's falling in love with the guy who's the from the child protective services and because you have all of these subplots you know you got the mafia and you've got the mayor and the media and the picking the horses and then he's got his remember remember smack dab uh at the end of Act Two, for some reason, you know, one hour and ten minutes into a one hour and forty minute movie, one hour and ten minutes in, they introduce a subplot where he wants to start a business where local oh, kids God. are trapped. <laughs> That's the worst luggage in Grand Central Station or wherever the hell oh, it is. Union they, Station in Chicago. The, the unnamed city, because they keep saying our city, but they never say Chicago. Right. It's obviously That's Chicago. Right. But why don't they just say Chicago? They they won't commit. They're like our city. Yeah. Don't you like they the city? They couldn't get the rights. Yeah. Because <laughs> so, they want you to think it's New York. They keep going exactly, like we're yeah. here in Chicago. <laughs> Each one of these things yeah. felt like an episode. Each one of these things felt like an episode. And um, so you had yeah. a movie that's just uh, chock full of these different uh, episodes. And, well, and, and, the- and, and, and by the way, I just want to take a moment to just a tip of the hat to Gary Coleman. And I always mm-hmm. want to say in all seriousness that he had a very sad and disturbed life, especially yeah. the last, you know, 10 or 15 years of his life. Rest in peace, Gary. You brought a lot of joy to a lot. I'm not being ironic. You brought a lot of joy to a lot of people with your shows and with your comedy and stuff like that. Um, and, um, you know, it was his his death was really sad and he left like four or five wills and he had there was a big um, um even Todd Bridges said he had one of Gary Coleman's wills um, wow. and uh, he fell somehow and died in a fall. I, I don't know those details of that, but apparently it was not. Everyone said it was drug related, but I don't think it was. And um, just a sad life at the end. He had moved to Utah and become a security guard at a mall for many years, kind of famously left 
Hollywood and had a lot of people leeching off of him his whole life. And um, it's a it's a sad story and you can't really separate, you know, on the right track from the tragedy of Gary Coleman, uh, the life and mm-hmm. death of Gary Coleman. So well, mm-hmm. not now. Not after that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks for listening, everybody. And, and, um... and you know what? And 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 like you said, though, his his town. I, when I was looking up those reviews and watched that Siskel and Ebert reviews, Ebert was didn't think it was a good movie, but was rapturous over Gary Coleman. Yeah. and mm-hmm. said he was his. What did he call him, Mike? Because you looked as if, like his favorite little cynical adult or something like that. Yes, he said like, uh, that he hates movies about. Well, he had no opinion on movies who can pick winners at the racetrack but uh, he said if there's anything I can't stand in a movie it's a sweet lovable cute little kid who is so adorable and knows he's adorable you want to cringe uh, that's why Gary, yeah, which Gary then, Coleman was so much fun uh, which then Siskel jumped in and said or punch in the face that's yeah. right. I saw that on there Siskel <laughs> yes. wanted to punch children in the face it's a nice but he said but I, you know, I don't the, know how other people relate to Coleman the precocious three foot nine star but in my opinion he is the shortest cynical adult in the history of the movies but when when Coleman started the business in this movie like you're saying in act two it was like oh god that like, this, like this five at that point yeah I really did think the first 10 15 minutes were pretty fun as like a 70s well it was 80 but 81 whatever but that kind of movie I'd see as a kid fantasy movie it should have just been him being the little you know, running around, wisecracking. He had all his kid pals. He had the monkey guy. While. He had the uh, yeah, the girl who plays the guitar. Uh, he got you know, free all pizza. The characters. Yeah. Oh, well, that man. upset me because it was like lousy pizza. It was Shakey's Pizza. Well, that's it's true. Like, come yeah. on, you're in Chicago. We we, we have options here. Yeah. Yeah, but, but 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 eventually, Edelman as uh, Sam the Pizza Guy, uh, mm-hmm. best known, of course, as. Uh, Dorothy's ex-husband Stanley on the Golden Girls, but a terrific uh, sitcom actor and uh, hyper prolific, very funny and funny to look at character star of the 70s and 80s. And, and when we talk about this being like, oh, it probably could have been a sitcom or I saw it was the writers were a husband and wife sitcom writing team, uh, Tina and Lester Pine. And they they and it's kind of interesting, like in in movies, they wrote black movies. They, they were not a black couple, but they wrote an early black romantic comedy called Claudine with James Earl Jones oh, and I love Diane Carroll. I've never seen that. Movie. Lawrence Hilton Jacobs. Claudine, they wrote uh, Last Night in the Pips theme song. I love that movie. No kidding. Yeah. And and, uh, and Man Called Adam with Sammy Davis Jr. They wrote that. And and then, uh, Mike, you'll love this. Uh he, Lester Pine, was the head writer of Turn On, the notorious wow. laugh-in uh, canceled, canceled. <laughs> during the commercial. Yeah. Do you, do you know about this show, Rain? It's called no. Turn On. It, it was a laugh-in rip-off, like a sketch spin-off? comedy oh, show. Okay, okay. No, I that, think it was George Schlatter produced. It was his oh, attempt he to recreate it. an edgy laugh-in. The, so it was called Turn On. And the, the legend, the crazy thing is, it aired on ABC one night, and it was canceled during the first commercial break. Like they like I think it's one of the they only shows the part way through. Yes, yes. People Have were not people seen were, it before it aired. <laughs> well, apparently the switchboards were lit up, and it was over a bit. It was a woman trying to get birth control out of a birth control vending machine, and when it didn't work, she became frantic, 
And that was more than America could take in whatever that was. It was probably like 1968 or something. 68, yeah. Do you guys yeah. remember like Love American Style? Oh, God. But of course. Yes. I used to so, skip school to watch it. I, I we it. watched it. We watched it all the time. You know, my parents were very religious. And somehow, uh, you know, and I was like six. And somehow we would always watch Love American Style. And it really should have been called Sex American Style. Really, love had nothing to do with it. I mean, it's it was remarkable. It was just like, how are these two people in this ridiculous situation going to hook up? You know, it's a little bit like right. it's got a Three's Company vibe, you yeah. know, eight years before Three's Company. And I'm just wondering how that show stayed on the air um, and why my parents, who were super religious, watched it and then why they let a five or six-year-old watch it because it was just this revolving door of one night stands, um, but it was gussied up with this, you know, perky little theme song and lots of. Uh, it was the Cowsills theme song. They would watch that with the oh, fireworks yeah. and the red, white, and blue, and uh, oh, this looks okay. Yeah, yeah, that was a good song. Rain, do you yeah. know the sitcom trivia of what sitcom was spun out of Love American Style? Wow, that's a great question. I don't. It's going to blow your mind if you don't know this. It's, um, it's 1973. Wow! It started started as one of the little sketches on there. It was wow. uh, it was Happy Days. It was it was Ron Howard? No, in a yes. Love American style. Love called, what was it called? Day. Love and the Happy Day, and that became uh, Gary Marshall's Happy Days. No, yeah. that was way. like his little test. Yeah, yeah. isn't that crazy? Potsy was there. Yeah, yeah. No, no fonts. Yeah. Wow. Wow. But rich yeah. in pots. This is this is one of our typical podcasts, Mike, where we want to talk about anything but the movie. <laughs> like yeah, the movie, I don't know. Like we should, we should just here. change the name to anything but the movie. <laughs> um, by the way, did you notice the uh, the sponsorship opportunities in On the Right Track? Did you notice the product placement? Cheerios, a lot of Cheerios. Yes. Cheerios throughout, and uh, Norman Fell was sitting in front of a billboard for. Baby Dunkin' Ruth. Donuts was it? Baby oh, Ruth. Baby Ruth, they, right? Butterfinger. Butterfinger, yeah. Ba- Baby Ruth yes. and Butterfinger. So there was an entire scene, about three or four pages long, in front of a Baby Ruth and Butterfinger billboard. Uh, Coke was mentioned a lot. Uh, you know, the drink. Yes. Um, you, you you got my favorite kind of tie-in thing from these movies. I'm always obsessed with an arcade scene. So you had Space Invaders. Yes. Oh yeah. And the Space Invaders pinball machine. The and, big yeah. game pinball machine. Yeah. The Freedom yeah. pinball machine. And Freedom seventy six. Her job was to collect coins from uh, video games, uh, but really we see her at the beginning repairing a video game. <laughs> yes. So she was putting the magnets in the pinball machine. Was, oh, like, that's right. <laughs> she was <laughs> ringing the mafia. But and then she the mafia rigging. guys would come and, and collect, yeah. <laughs> but but when we see her she's singing and I suddenly thought Which is, is this a musical number? Like yeah. yeah, that was very confusing. The song yeah. when she auditions. Yeah, this is like there's there's so much to talk about. It was the song so many scenes. That that song and that's a great question. Was that song going to be like, oh, this is going to be our hit song from the movie. It'll be on the soundtrack and it'll be our, you know, uh, you have to think if they went to that trouble kind of hit yeah. song from if they went to that trouble to produce that and have her belted out like that with the guy blowing cigar smoke in her face the whole time in the nightclub. But these, do you remember what the song was called? Take, Take it, like, it a woman. like a woman. Yeah, yeah, it was really. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and she says stuff like during she's like, "Close your eyes and take it like a woman." <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I think they did expect it to be a hit because it was just a little, it was not a good song, but it was a little too well produced. They had put the effort in. Like a lot of times you see a movie like this and it's just a placeholder. It's uh, they, super they well produced hard. and it's yes. hilarious how she is, is lip syncing this like in impossible yes. situations. Yeah. With that uh, voice yes. and, and the, str- the thousand string uh, orchestra behind her. Yeah. Well, the relationship between them was just the man and the woman. Um, was... Limbeck and Lisa Eilbacher. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of consonants for those. Yeah, those Germanic names. cast. Very Midwestern. They had to put Do you remember Chicago. where he asks her out uh, on their first date? Where does he ask her out? To go the to ice do, capades. Do, to go to the ice capades. <laughs> yes. yeah. uh, the and, ultimate um, 1981 date. Yeah. And, uh, and then there's when he has sex with her, we don't see them have sex in fact we cut away well before their sex they just kiss yeah. in the kitchen but later she says oh and then you had sex with me so they had she sex. said you took me to bed yes but at that same time where was gary coleman's character sleeping in a locker in a train station <laughs> while he was cooking her pasta and making love to her on his beautiful bed in queens yeah. there was a little boy uh, asleep in a locker. <laughs> well, in fairness, he had like three lockers that he had hollowed out and put a TV and, a, you know, a little and, microwave oven and stuff in there. And, oh, God. And in this era, there's a get and he shines shoes. He's a shoe shine yes. boy. And he wears a werewolf mask to shine shoes. For, I didn't understand <laughs> yeah, why. A, you got to have a gimmick. But, but in this era, how did you get the chills when the customer sneezed in his face that that was a big, I like right. recoiled from the screen like, oh, God, no, I just yeah. couldn't help it. Yeah. yeah. Thank God he was wearing a werewolf mask, though. So. I more got the chills when the doctor customer said, I work in uh, artificial insemination. Do you know what that is? And then Gary said, yeah, it's sex without the fun. And they got a big laugh. I thought that. that was one of the better sitcom jokes. And the other yeah. one I love is when the mean kid, the mean bully kid, yeah. punches him and steals his $200 and says, my sister needs a nose job and runs away. That was away. a great line. Now, that, that was a good line, voice too. was weirdly dubbed, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was. I think yeah. that was some weird ADR. Yeah. The uh, yeah. I like the joke when the... The, the child protect Michael Lembeck leaves his child protective services office, and his partner's got a feet up on the desk, and is like, "Get yourself a hooker, relax." <laughs> and then um, he comes back, and he's met the girl, and he's kind of on yeah. cloud nine. Lembeck has met Jill Eichenbacher, <laughs> and um, uh, and the guy's like, "Oh, you got yeah, a you hooker? Took my, you took my advice." Um, <laughs> and this is I wait, this is a kids movie. <laughs> This yes. is and this is the other uh, thing well, that bothered me. Like, who's the audience for this film? They're making hooker jokes and the okay. racist joke. Also, that Gary Coleman you're talking says, to him, Rain. Yeah. Um, G- Gary, Gary Coleman says when he said, "I'm not, I'm not him. I'm not the kid who sleeps in the la- locker." And he goes, "We all look alike." <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, How so he about- was. All right, you want to talk about racist joke? Yeah, you want to talk about inappropriate joke in this kid movie? How about Marine Stapleton saying to him as the kind of bag lady who digs in a trash can, saying, "I might get robbed or raped," and then Gary Coleman? No, 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 it's it's much more jarring than that. How did it go? How did it go? And then he has an awkward pause, and then he does a fantastic Jack Benny silent double take, and then says goodbye, like walks out of frame. (laughs) I mean, really funny. Like his reaction, really genuinely funny. 
No, yeah. she says, uh, yeah, terrible things, terrible people down here, very crazy people. And he, and he says, what are you worried about, Mary? You, you've got nothing to rob. And then she goes, I could be raped. And then, yes, yes. the Jack And then he silence. does his deadpan, <laughs> yes, yeah. and then walks away. Well, okay, Mary, I'm going back oh. to my locker. Funny guy. Funny guy. He speaking of Jack Benny, he had a very funny breaking the fourth wall moment too when they drop him off at the the foster home kind of thing, and he sees yeah. the great big mean security guard, and he turns yeah. to, and breaks the fourth wall to look at the can look at the audience yeah. deadpan. Yeah, it's some and, funny uh, stuff. In, in Ebert's review, he says that the the guard there looks like Ilsa She Wolf of the SS. <laughs> She, she, she did not. <laughs> she looked yeah. nothing like Ilsa. Yeah. She wolfed the S. Poser. You, know, you didn't see gentlemen, Ilsa. <laughs> gentlemen, I want to class up this conversation a little bit. Please. You know, for God's sake. I had a conversation once with name drop Jason Reitman. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Who I worked with in a little film called Juno. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, you know, the main role of the director is to is tone is to make sure that everyone is in the same movie <laughs> and that the tone is the same from the beginning to end. That's the number one job of the director. And I think that that honestly, I think about as obvious as that sounds, when I'm watching a movie, that's the thing I'm most looking for. And when you do see a great film, the tone is just pitch perfect from beginning to end. Like even like Scor- some Scorsese films that aren't very good, like Casino, like the oh, well. tone is great from beginning to end, and it, it just keeps you in it. And what about Lee Phillips, the director of this film, who I looked at his credits on IMDb. He was almost purely a television actor. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd done mel- multiple episodes of The Waltons. He even did an episode of my very favorite TV show, Kung Fu. He even directed wow. episodes of... The Lloyd Bridges show, which I had no idea existed. I had no idea there was a Lloyd Bridges show. Um, Wait, it was, was it called The Lloyd Bridges the Show? Lloyd the Lloyd Bridges Sea Hunt. Show. The Lloyd Bridges Show. No. Okay, yeah. So, was it, um, did you look up what it was, Rain? It's a really odd premise. I didn't. I didn't see that. Also, he so, directed Mash. But yeah, tell me more about Lee Phillips was, uh, and the Lloyd so Bridges they would, show. They would choose a story of something that was ostensibly going on in the world that week. And Lloyd Bridges would introduce it, and then he would act in the story. Weird. So it would be like, that, well, there's, you know, there's a, a mine collapsed in uh, South America, and uh, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna go there now. And they would put Lee, uh, Lloyd Bridges as the hero or as the miner trying to get out of the mine. So, and they would do that hmm. every week for however long that show lasted. Interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. that's really weird. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, so Rain, you're saying that On the Right Track does not have a consistent tone. Is that correct? <laughs> you you it does maintain. does not have a consistent tone, and that was Boy. just brought up to you by, by him looking and breaking the fourth wall. Yes, yes, um, yeah. The mafia subplot, the, uh, the Maureen Stapleton as the homeless woman who's too ugly to be raped subplot. Where she wins the horse money and goes and gets gussied up at the hair salon. That has um, a bubble bath in the middle of it, like a dog groomer. A bubble yes. bath with yellow stuff put on her feet. <laughs> like, what were they doing there? What, yeah. what, what was the? Yeah, that was that was weird. That and, was like hydraulic also, acid. And then on top of all those movies, there's also 
her and Michael Lembeck in their kind of pseudo attempt at a Woody Allen, Annie Hallish, <laughs> like, yeah. oh, something's burning in the kitchen, you know, yeah, right. sexy. There's a spider yes. in the bathtub kind of. Yes, right. exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah so the, the, tone, the, the tone shifts drastically. So listen, let's come, come back to you. You went with Gary Coleman and not Gary Colon. Uh, Mike, <laughs> why do you think that this movie, it has redemption? I need you to convince me, okay? I want you to do it in like 12 sentences. I want you to do it in like okay. 90 seconds. Convince me that this movie is worthwhile. What I seek the most, what I value the most in, in motion picture entertainment is an experience that I cannot have in life, nor that I can have in other typical movies. And when something is this strange, has all these uh, bizarre plot points, and holds my attention for as long as this did, I did watch the whole thing, not on uh, on 1.5 speed, then I am grateful for having had that experience, and I will remember it. And that's ultimately what I seek in in a film. And so then the idea of what's good and what's bad is very different using those set of criteria. You must have had a really sad childhood. I, I want to well, know. You know how much I trivia? Know I know that's your, why. Yes. The I want to know about the childhood because yeah. you were probably the loneliest boy in Flatbush. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of pain there, and I want to know oh. more about this boy that wanted to just be transported by the cinema. I don't care how fucking bad it is, as long as it's something that's not my home in Flatbush. <laughs> I yeah. <laughs> I had a uh, a FaceTime therapy appointment this afternoon, and we actually tackled this subject. <laughs> no kidding! <Yes>. Wow! No <laughs> wonder it's coming out now. Getting lost in the movies, and that was all I ever dreamt of. <laughs> so uh, yes, Ring, you're a highly perceptive guest. So here's I am a perceptive guest, and I've been in twenty years of therapy. But here's the deal. My dad, oh, I'm talking about a lot because he passed away a couple months ago. Don't worry. Don't get all weird about it. It's okay. People okay. have a hard time I talking about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, in fact, I was doing this voiceover today for a movie, and there were like 10 people on the Zoom as I was doing the thing. And I mentioned something about my dad passing away, and there was just this pall of awkward silence of everyone oh, on the on. Zoom. And it's like, guys, when people die. You know, All you just say is like, oh, I'm so sorry. That's all you have to say. And go on it's no big deal i mean i mean it is a big deal but it happens anyway let's get deep on your ass my dad <laughs> had an obsession with classical music and much in the way that you mike had an upset have an obsession with uh, movies of the 70s and 80s and my whole life he played non-stop classical music it was going in the car on the turntable on the radio it was just on this non-stop suffocating soundtrack to my childhood and he just would hum along with the melodies <laughs> you know and i just so immediately when i discovered punk rock i discovered the clash in like 1982 i was like oh that's that's it i'm done you know i'm, I'm i went in that direction i think it broke his heart but uh the point is is i he had a very traumatic childhood and his mother died when he was eight years old and the reason he got into classical music is he found a little later on when he was like 10, his mother's old classical record collection up in the attic. Wow. He took it to his room mm. with a phonograph wow. and would play her classical music records over and over again 
And that launched his obsession with classical music throughout his life. And I just learned this this last month, I swear to God. Um, no kidding. Isn't it amazing? Isn't that life is, yeah. just rich no. and complicated? Yeah, yeah. And that was and that was all you heard growing up was the classical stuff. Like like I, you didn't have any other Nope. Occasional show tunes like the soundtrack to like Camelot or you know Brigadoon or something like that that kind of had classical over over sure. Chers over Close enough. Yeah. yeah. See, it's so foreign to me because Mike, I feel like you and and my wife Jennifer have this similar thing that I can't relate to of oh, like the the squ- square parents to whatever degree who are only playing like kind of easy listening stuff. I, I I think you've told me that my where, parents where, tortured me with big band music. Right. They were there for Elvis and the Beatles. They opted for Jimmy and Tommy Dorsey. Right, and they would listen to it on an AM radio, with the bass all the way up and the treble all the way down. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, I get migraine <laughs> headaches as soon as I hear boom, 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 boom. Yeah, I, I, I start seeing bright white light of pain and vomiting. Yeah, <laughs> and that was my soundtrack. But uh, you know, it's. It, I was really talking about all this with my strength this afternoon. No, you know, it was uh, my father was a very uh, brilliant guy um, and a a man at war with himself. He wanted to be John Wayne and Jack Kerouac at the same time. So he was into jazz. He was into poetry. He hung out in the village, but he was also a Green Beret who volunteered to go to Vietnam and was there for the Tet Offensive. Wow. While I was... uh, in utero and um you know we we had a very rough go of things upon his return um and the first light the first crack in my miserable childhood was at a flea market at ps 152 where ben and i both went um i got a bag of old mad magazines for 25 cents and this was, you know, the light had come on. It was, you know, Dorothy opening the door and seeing Technicolor for the first time. And my father flew into a rage that my mother had allowed me to read Mad Magazine because it was so subversive. Mm. And I then would secretly hoard Mad Magazines. And he found out when I was nine years old and made made us rip them up together. And Ooh-hoo. so... I am now, Oof. I don't know if you see, I am now covered in tattoos. My first one was... Alfred, Alfred e. Newman. Newman. Now, at the, yeah. now, mm-hmm. now, my mother, coming from a Aaron, different... Aaron, you were wearing an Alfred E. Newman t-shirt today. I was. I was wearing one this morning. Yeah. I, I and, wear and it up. The last but I classed it up for this. I when read I f- mag- Magazine too voraciously, but my yes. parents gladly bought it for me. I just... Oh, God, I loved it so much. Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. mother would sneak it to me. My father would then, you know, lose his mind. Um, but then, uh, from a different point of view... I truly, at age at age three, I was in love with the Three Stooges, this these guys on my other arm, and uh, my mother was part of a litter writing campaign to get the Three Stooges taken off of Channel Eleven in New York, because she caught me beating up my stuffed animals. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was not allowed to watch the Three Stooges, but that was my whacked out hippie parents saying right. that's violence. I could I was also not supposed to watch Popeye. Uh, but Popeye was too violent. Nothing with wow. anybody beating each other up. Yeah. Yeah. But as we've talked about Mike, but uh the sensuous nurse at 2 a.m. <laughs> on cable in second grade was fine. But violence was totally unacceptable. Right. 
totally unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yes, the, the, uh, and then my only respite was to get away from those two maniacs. Wow. Was to we've, get really, to a movie um, we've really so. cracked something tonight, gentlemen. A movie theater or a mad magazine? On the, on the right track. Uh, we, we certainly we, put, we cracked the crackpot cinema. You ha- yes, <laughs> you have flipped you, my soul pancake, Rain. I, very you, nice. Yep. <laughs> I think, gentlemen, all of us as adults are on the right track. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, let's just say, let's just uh, raise a glass. You know why. It's the childlike uh, vulnerability of Gary Coleman. That's that's what did it. That's what did it. Thank you, Gary. And uh, sending much love to you and your tremendous talent. Yeah. Yeah. Big, big talent. Big talent. Little guy, big talent. (laughs) (laughs) Little guy, big talent. You know, the the second working title of the movie was A Guy Could Get Killed Out There. (laughs) Oh, yeah. If it had come out with that title. Yes. (laughs) That's the Charles Bronson movie we really wanted to watch. (laughs) But with him, like, you know, adorably take, like, take, you know, with the racing form in the locker on the poster, a guy could get killed out there. Oh, Gary. Uh, so, do you uh, remember the um, Dirty Harry movie where the killer was a transvestite and sexual transvestite? So, no, not sudden impact. Uh, that is sudden impact, isn't it? Is or, it? Or is in, it? No, like it's dead, Deadpool, Deadpool the right? Isn't it Deadpool? Deadpool? No, not Deadpool. What the fuck am I trying to say? The you know, the zone? one that Jim Carrey has the. That's the Deadpool. Yeah. It is. Jim the Carrey's Deadpool. the heavy metal rocker. Yes. He, that, is that the one? Yeah. I'm yeah. not. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, hmm. Hmm. you you know the what you know what I will quickly say is kind of cool about on the right track though. Here here's one merit thing I'll say. I'm all, I'm always obs- when we talk about the the now inappropriate racial humor. It, it did right. strike me watching this like oh yeah it was the when Gary had a dream sequence of getting married. Oh yeah, oh, a we, little yes. wedding and here's him and a, and a yes. little girl and they're at their wedding and it it was always it's always a kind of touching to me when i see even in it like said a movie with inappropriate offensive stereotypes like this and he's the little black shoeshine kid like oh this is wild like there was no other kids movie with uh a boy and girl that were black getting married you, you know what i mean it's it's always it's a it's a i gotta you gotta give the movie that for that level of representation that gary pulled off you, you know I, I i really enjoyed it was, that. it was a jolt seeing that it really yeah, was yeah it was fun I like that. I don't know. I just, I. You know what? Let's just watch all the Gary Coleman movies now. I'll share screen. Let's <laughs> let's put up the the what is it? The kid with the halo? Is that it? The kid is with the, the broken one? halo. The kid with the broken halo. That's where the kid with two hundred the two hundred IQ. The kid How with two hundred IQ. Field? Is there now a those good? Three star, is there a good uh, Gary, Gary Coleman movie? Is there one? I don't think there is. Well, mm. I'll tell you the funniest one is called Playing with Fire from 1984 where he's a pyromaniac. But wow. he gets to act scary. Really? Scary oh, Coleman. Wow. Yeah. That yeah. sounds pretty good. Yeah, I'd watch that. Now, is it, is his he... last and again, this is, you know, he didn't have a great end, but uh his last credit is a direct-to-video movie called Midgets versus Mascots. And uh, wow. we're not going to review that one, but there is a really weird story associated with it. Uh, Scotty Pippen is in the movie, and apparently he gets injured in the in the film that he's and and it's part of the movie. And he had to release, he had to issue a press release, 
And he said in 2008, so this is, you know, NBA legend Scottie Pippen, who's in a movie about little people fighting sports mascots, people in, you know, fuzzy parrot costumes. So in 2008, Scottie Pippen wrote, I agreed to play a cameo role in a movie titled A Tribute to Big Red, now titled Midgets vs. Mascots. My role was scripted, and the first two scenes went off without any problems. During the third scene, I was told that four little people, along with actor Gary Coleman, were to become angry with something I said and storm off as the scene ends. Instead, they basically attacked me, with Gary Coleman apparently climbing on a chair behind me to hit me over the head with a phone twice. (laughs) As for the little person who claims he was injured in the attack, I really don't think I caused any injury or can be held to blame. For the record, I have never seen the movie, and in hindsight, I wish I had not been involved with it. I will not be answering any further questions regarding the film. <laughs> wow. It's quite a bait and switch to come at him with that title and change it to Midgets versus Mascots. I think <laughs> really I'd be is. upset, too. Yeah. That uh, would if be I happy. ever meet Scottie Pippen, if I ever have the good fortune, <laughs> I am going to ask him questions about Midgets versus Mascots, and he's going to he's gonna fucking answer them, goddammit. Just sneak up Rain. behind him with a phone. I'll and just him hold the, the phone. phone. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Twice. Rain, I have this pre-written statement. I will not answer these questions. Here you are. <laughs> He'll hand it to you and walk away. <laughs> yes, uh, just in case. This happens all the time. Just take this. So, um, let's just, so it, as I said, it opened uh, all over. In Chicago, Gary was at the uh, premiere. He was at, uh, well, not he was on opening night. He was at three different theaters. Now, did you, you live in the Chicago area at some point, Rain? I did, yeah. That's, I, um... <clears throat> I went my last two years of high school uh, at a uh, in suburban Chicago, and that's where I started acting. It had a great acting program, so I'm really grateful for that. I have a lot of friends in Chicago. I just was on this TV show, been doing Utopia, and yeah. we shot our first season in Chicago. It was great. Uh, it's a great city, um, very filmable city. I feel like, oddly enough, I know this sounds terrible, like New York is kind of overshot, and Chicago is very sure. undershot in movies. And... Um, it's scenic. It's filled with great actors. Um, the local hires of Chicago are fantastic, from the Steppenwolf and the Goodman and the Second City and uh, Northwestern and DePaul and all these great acting legacy. And um, it's an oddly ne- neglected, uh, neglected city. I mean, can you right now? Can you think like, oh, what are the ten greatest? You know, the only thing you can think of is The Fugitive. You can't think of like what are the ten great. No. Chicago shot movies. No, this is this is a challenge we have Blues faced Brothers. on Blues 70 Brothers. movies we saw in the 70s. It's like, why are there not... Why is there not an equivalent of Sidney Lumet who had been documenting Chicago mm. the same way he had documented New York mm-hmm. at that time? Were, there just were, isn't. Were there, were there Chicago exploitation films? Were, there, there really weren't? Not that I can think of. Yeah, I can't. I, I mean, can't even the, think of that. I'm first trying one to think comes of any. Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, and then uh, right. Above the Law with Steven Seagal. I'm trying to think of like even black exploitation films. There weren't any Chicago set ones, were there? No. Well, I asked I my know. boss Jim Healy about this in because we were we watched Roller Coaster, which has a couple of great Chicago shots in it, and we're like, hey, where are the rest of the Chicago seventy movies? And uh, Jim said it was uh, Mayor Daly was staunchly opposed to oh. To film and TV in, in general, and the idea of anyone shooting in Chicago. Oh, really? Oh, oh he's he made it, it hard. Oh. for anyone to do it. 
Wow. That's interesting because I remember it was a big deal when Mayor Jane Byrne announced that they were going to shoot the Blues Brothers, and she just opened the whole city to them. And now I know that it was actually. Wow. Well, of course, the John Hughes movie is shot north of Chicago. Yeah, right. Right. Um, You know, Risky Business. Right. Yes. Uh, About Last Night. The sure. Continental Divide with John Belushi. That's right. That one comes Mike to mind. Royko. Oh, yes. that's right. Yeah. Character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to say, so he, Gary appeared at three theaters in Chicago on opening night. Hillside Square, the Yorktown, and River Oaks. Do any of those mean anything to you? I don't. It doesn't ring any bells, but I'm not oh. I'm not a diehard, you know, in the heart of the city movie goer right, Chicagoan. Yeah. yeah. So one last bit of trivia regarding this. Uh, Gary was nominated unfairly, brutally. And we hate the Razzie Awards. He was nominated for a Worst Actor Razzie Award, but he lost to Clinton Spilsbury, star of a previous Uh. episode subject, The Legend of the Lone Ranger. (laughs) Again, 1981. Yeah, this is our year. I know. I had no idea. I had no idea we'd done so many movies in this year. The Fan. Rain, didn't you say The yeah. Fan yeah. was 1981? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. We did mm-hmm. that movie. Mm-hmm. God, yeah. This was it. This was our time. So let me just, before we go, the other movie. So it opened in Los Angeles on August 28th, so end of the summer. Now, these were all the other, these movies opened in L.A. this day. Uh, Body Heat. Fantastic movie. Gallipoli. Great Fantastic movie. movie. That I know mm-hmm. from Siskel and Ebert. Uh, heavy Metal. Fantastic. Yep, for me great. at 13. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. Private Lessons. Super fantastic. I'm the author of Teen Movie Hell. Doesn't know mm-hmm. that. I don't know. And um, we will not have you back on to watch that one. Because <laughs> that's bad, too. Um, and then this one, I'd never heard of. It was called Mystique. It also goes by the name Brainwash. And also Circle of Power and Naked Weekend. It's with oh, Yvette no. Mimou, Mimou, mm-hmm. and she runs like she's a she's a like really uh, hyper um, totalitarian boss of this corporation who runs an est like program for her employees, and she completely Ew. breaks them down over the course of a weekend. And there's like a fat guy she puts in a cage, and they throw pig slop on him. And I can't we I can't believe I've never heard of this. I know and this I was know. a gift of. On the Right Track to me. So that's my final point. On the Right Track led me to know about the movie Brainwash, a.k.a. Naked Weekend, but which this- is apparently based on fact uh, taken from a book called The Pit, A Group Encounter Among the Defiled by Gene Church and Conrad D. Carnes. So we're going to find that one. There are so many interesting movies from 1981. Uh, we've, I mean, we've been talking about it this whole hour, but Fort Apache, The Bronx. Sure. Oh, yeah. The French Lieutenant's Woman. Um, there's some really interesting ghost stories, really interesting film. Yeah. Uh, Fred Astaire in a, in a, in a dramatic Douglas. role. Yeah. Um, Hell Night with Linda Blair, of course. All right. Um, but Pray so many day. interesting, uh, interesting uh, line of the desert with Anthony Quinn. Um, it's, uh, they don't make them like this anymore. I hate to say it. There's uh, God, per- pennies from heaven. It just the list oh, goes wow. on and on. Like you could spend just a year watching the films of 1981. Yeah. They're this really interesting, diverse group of films. Not to mention Ragtime, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, you know, so many, so many great films. 
God, I, I, there's a couple in there I've rewatched recently. Ragtime, were we talking about that, Mike? How much yeah. that kicks ass? Ragtime is fantastic. It holds up the so well. The book yeah. is amazing. That book no was kidding. life-changing. It's so it's so good. Um, and it's way better than the movie. The movie does a damn good job, but the book yeah, is, is, loved is insane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the first Errol Morris documentary, Vernon, Florida, came out in 1981. That is a classic. Oh, if you haven't seen that, about that? it's uh, it's fantastic. Um, and Wolfen came out the same year as uh, as the other werewolf, Howling movie, American and American Wolf? Werewolf in London. All, yes. all three the same year. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, we were just complaining about Wolfen, about how much at, at that age, <laughs> I loved the howling. I loved yeah. American Werewolf in London. I was so excited for Wolfen, and then yeah. I was so bored as a kid. Also, Taps. I loved Taps when I was a kid. Ooh, All right. Yeah. yeah. Teenagers and the... That's that's where <laughs> apparently um, Tom Cruise kicked the shit out of Sean Penn. Wow. I don't know life, that story. On the yeah. set of Taps... They got into a fight, and Tom Cruise actually kicked his butt, and he was like the bad boy Sean Penn. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Scanners. God, there's so many great scanners. Oh, now we, we mentioned Endless Love, and speaking of books, have you ever read that book? No. Oh, so boy, that's oh boy. like a real literature yeah. book, but the movie yes. was like really like exploitative, right? Is that right? That's what I No, heard. it's it's a very failed. Uh, it's Franco Zeffirelli attempting to kind of force you know his romeo and juliet onto this story in suburban chicago but the the book is like one of the most harrowing things i've ever endured and i just and to think of it and i read it a few years ago before the me too uh era mm. and it just it it made me so uncomfortable to have been a teenage male and to understand what this kid was thinking the whole time and the way it's laid out in this book and uh, i really strongly recommend uh, guys, how love. did we miss? Yeah. How did we miss Road Warrior in all this? Well, that's also an '82 release in America. Oh, okay. okay. I, here's one I forgot. Opening day in Los Angeles. This is the one I saved for last. Aaron, coming okay. at you in 3D. Oh man, which, which, uh, which you know, Rain. I was talking about having the 3D projector system in yeah. my backyard. Mm-hmm. I've got the Blu-ray of Coming at You, which was. This was a Italian Western that came out in 81. Mm-hmm. Did, do you remember the whole little boom of 3D movies then? Jaws 3D, yep. Friday the mm-hmm. 13th Part 3. It was all started by Coming At You, which is the most boring, stupid... <laughs> just like this Western where nothing happens but people taking a, you know, taking their keys and jingling them right. out at you in the audience. Right. They're and like, most, yeah, you got some gold in that bag, and it's like, yeah, and they just pour it into the camera, yeah. And a slow motion shot of a woman changing a diaper, a baby's yes, diaper, the baby's and ass. placing yeah. the baby's ass in your face in 3D. It's and just, that's when they should have had the odorama cards for that one. They should have combined them. I wish. I wish. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, yeah. That's a hell of a year. I guess it must have to do with that '70s becoming the '80s thing. That you know, that was the perfect. Uh, Perfect cross section for movies. This that was it, and then and, it was uh, all downhill. I have to agree, yeah. But I will say a final the the most nineteen eighty one piece of entertainment, and you can watch this on YouTube. And I saw it. Now, do you remember as the, in the summertime the networks would air the pilots that they didn't buy, and it would just be like they would just announce uh, here's right. the show that's on once. 
I love to watch those. Mm-hmm. And there was one called The Best of Times. And it was a musical series about youth and youth issues. It was about a group of kids in California. Um, and it had comedy bits, but it had dramatic monologues also. The host, the kid you identify with, the, the, who brings you into this youth world, is Crispin Glover, playing Crispin. They all go by their own names. And, um, you know, he does a kind of like a, a funny rap about how hard it is to be a teenager in 1981. And then he gets a phone call. He goes, uh-oh, there's an emergency. The gang's at 7-Eleven, and they ran out of quarters for Space Invaders. And that kind of sets the tone. And then Nicolas Cage does a why dramatic that, monologue. Why doesn't it about, get picked up? It's amazing. Uh, yeah, well, well, you must watch this on YouTube. And I, I think the we should do an episode times? on it. The Best of Times? The Best times? of Times, it's called. Yes, yeah. 1981. Oh. Nicolas Cage does a dramatic monologue worrying about that because Reagan was about to reinstall um, you know, the Selective Service. When you turned 18, you had to mail your information to the Army. Do you guys remember in we should probably wrap this up because I have actually a life to live. Um, <laughs> do you guys remember? You're just going to watch on the right track again. You're so full of shit. <laughs> yeah. You love the it fucking at, movie. At I don't like it. All, all you're going to do is watch it over and over again. Well, tonight. now he has we all the it. other, the kid with the halo, the kid with the 200. Yeah, yeah. we know what's so full of shit. Anything with kid in the title I'm going to watch next. <laughs> and if the kid can pick a winner at the track, even better. Yeah. But uh, do you remember, speaking of television in that era, and you were speaking about them airing the pilots in the summer, in the fall, they would have a special about the shows that were coming oh, out in the, the fall. Greatest. Oh, the God. Yes. So 1978, let's say, it would be like, hey, the ABC primetime spectacular show right. is going to be Loved on it. September 7th, and the shows are going to start September 14th, and they would go through on Thursday night, we're coming yep. back with the Waltons, but after the Waltons, there's a new hard-hitting detective show called Hunter or whatever, and they would do a right. little, you know, a little bio, and they would show a sizzle thing. It's kind of like what they do contemporary in pilot season in, in the industry, where they, but they do that for advertisers to try and get their ad dollars. Oh, I want to put my, you know, my Coca-Cola or my Timberland or my, you know, Schweppervescence ad dollars into that TV show. But I would... I had a notebook, and I would write down all the shows that were going to be on, and I would plan out my TV schedule accordingly. The, you know, the year I remember was hosted by Henry Winkler as the Fonz. It was like, here's the new ABC shows. Right. And the, the A-team over on NBC was the biggest show in the country, and it was opposite right. Happy Days, and it was kicking Happy Days' ass. This so they late announced in, late in Happy Days. This is like yes, very late. Yeah. This is depressing. Everybody's yeah. getting up there. Happy Days, yeah. and they and the, they paired Happy Days with a show about a genie. Do, do you remember what it was called, Mike? It was there was a sitcom about a, a, a modern day fun loving genie, and he came out with Henry Winkler, and Henry Winkler's like, "Hey, can you do something about this guy for me?" And they had an actor dressed up as Mister T come out, <laughs> and the genie said, "Sure," and he shrunk him, and he made Mister T, wow. and this little tiny man's running around going, "I pity the fool, I pity the fool," and <laughs> and Fawn steps on him, and then wow, says about the ge- says about the genie i like this guy i like this guy (laughs) that's yeah oh i loved it i don't remember the genie show i just googled it is it just our luck it's got it that sounds right three yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. 83 there you go Uh, who's the genie uh um 
directed by uh, starring T.K. Carter and Richard Oh, Gilliland. yeah, that's what it was. It was T.K. Carter was the genie. Yeah. Because <laughs> I well, remember he had a turban on, yes. Yeah, he was right. an accomplice in the murder of Mr. T. That's, that's all I... <laughs> I remember Migo, which was about a magic space alien with Bronson Pinchot and the kid from Jerry Maguire. <laughs> Jonathan Lipnicki? Wasn't that yeah. his name? Yeah, yes. Lipnicki. We watched that, Aaron. We watched Migo together, yeah. Really? I got yeah. I don't remember And there was a that. part where uh, Migo is like making the vacuum... <laughs> Like, he's just kind of dancing, making it work, to She Works Hard by, for the Money by Donna Summer. Oh, yeah. So. Um, a, we've learned a few things, a, Rain. Do you guys ever end this podcast? And B, does anyone listen to this thing? We have uh, 800,000 listeners uh, yes. on average. Okay. Sometimes we get up around, you know, 2 million, 3 million at our highest. <laughs> no, I just no nobody say, listens to it. I just want to say to anyone who's made it this far, tweet Send me a tweet on my Twitter, hashtag on the right track, and I will send you free Dwight signed swag. Nice. Oh, wow. if okay. If you've made it one hour That's... and 21 <laughs> minutes and 40 seconds into our conversation, you really, you deserve, you deserve you deserve a lot more than and that. Rain, uh, when you when you want to tell us the number of people who actually follow through on this, <laughs> yeah, please mm -hmm. be kind. Hashtag on the right track. Tweet it yeah. at Rain Wilson That's at Rain right. Wilson. Mm -hmm. Yep, get free stuff. Dwight signed right. swag. Guys, I have to, I have a life to live. I Thank have you to so go. much, Rain. This was spectacular. Could we ask you to say <laughs> this is Rain Wilson? Crack or get off the pot. This is Rain Wilson. Crack or get off the pod. Thank That's you so much. That's a professional broadcaster. Yeah, right? Thank Thanks, Rain. You Thank guys, you, this Rain. Was, has Thanks, been a profound, Rain. a profound nerd pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you very much. God and bless truly, you. Thank Thanks, you for buddy. drilling into my soul. Yeah, we, we unearthed the real Mike McPadden tonight. <laughs> we really did. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Well, will you have? Nothing, thanks.